Acheron, The Demon King, by Morgan Huxley. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 4 That was easier than I expected, Ahmed said. This time he was in command of the car that was wheeling them back to the university. It took my handler several years to recruit me, but she agreed to join us in just a couple of days. She has had no one who valued her until now, said Stuart. Of course she agreed to our bit of theatre. Why shouldn't she sign a contract she has every reason to think is meaningless? We promised her the world. So, then, you expect her to balk, said Ahmed. She lacks the years of training and discipline she would have acquired had she been raised with us, replied Stuart. It's hard to imagine how things could go smoothly. She seems to trust you completely, observed Ahmed. That will make things easier. Stuart made no reply. He could have pointed out that trust was how lambs were always led to the slaughter. But he had no obligation to explain himself to anyone and he had little inclination to do so at this point. His role in the society allowed him to simply give orders and have them obeyed. If Stuart could not make the girl want to fulfill all her obligations, he would have to force her to do what she must. That was his responsibility and it was a burden he had no desire to share with anyone else. Everyone could simply do as they were told. When Mary opened the door to Stuart two days later, she found him staring up at the sky. It's a beautiful night, he said, I don't think I've seen stars this bright since last year in the Himalayas. Seeing the briefcase, Mary raised an eyebrow. Is there anything sharp in there? As she stepped aside to let Stuart enter her home, she saw that he was dressed in jeans, white trainers and a white dress shirt. It was the kind of thing she imagined he wore on a dig. Had this man really asked her to write and sign a contract in her own blood just 48 hours ago? Not this time. I brought you some gifts, said Stuart as she closed the door. He walked into the kitchen, pulled a chair out from under the table, and sat down. He placed his briefcase on the table before him. Mary took a deep breath to steady her nerves as she sat across from him. She prayed that this whole affair wasn't some kind of complicated trick, an experiment in human gullibility and ignorance. It would be nice not to feel disappointment for a change. As she watched, Stuart removed a small ivory box, a thick leather volume and a silver pen from the case, then he closed it and set it on the floor. Mary looked at the items. The box was no larger than the palm of her hand and was covered with hundreds of tiny engravings. The leather-bound book featured an elaborately tooled sun that reminded her of one she had made more than a year ago. The pen looked to be the kind one purchased in a jewelry shop rather than one bought in a stationery store. Traditionally, our initiates are given a book to record their thoughts, dreams, and incantations in. This is your grimoire, or book of shadows. You should write something in it every day. He slid the book and the pen to her. This book is an important part of your training and a record of your journey. The book belongs to the society, so you must not allow it to fall into the hands of others, and it must pass to us when you die. Taking up the book, Mary caressed the fine leather. Opening the cover, she saw an inscription. Hebrew? She asked as she tried to make out the curling letters. Arabic. It's a traditional warning found in most mystic volumes. It warns that evil will befall those who read what lies within without permission. Stuart picked up the ivory box. Does the spell work even if you can't read Arabic? Asked Mary. She flipped through the pages, noting they were thick, unlined, and bordered in gold. Does drinking poison kill you even if you can't read the label on the bottle? Stuart asked with a smile. 
Setting aside the Book of Shadows, Mary looked at the object in his hands. She noted that the tiny carvings seemed to show, among other things, astrological symbols. She also recognized the entwined snakes and stuff she associated with doctor's offices, and an eye within a pyramid that she remembered from American money. Is that a jewelry box? She asked. Tarot cards, said Stuart, handing it to her. They belong to Madame Bouchard, divinator to Marie Antoinette. Can you open it? Mary turned the box over and over, looking for a latch. She found none. For a moment she just stared at the box, then she saw that one of the symbols looked very much like the devil mask Stuart had admired in her barn a few days past. She touched the face and the top let go of the box. She handed him the two pieces. How odd, she said. There is no hinge. No, he said. Does it use suction? He shook his head and smiled. Hold out your hand, he said. When she complied, he tipped the box over and a stack of thin cards fell into her palm. They were very stiff, as if they were made of something other than paper. They were beautifully illuminated in vibrant colors, and many featured intricate portraits of people. Some of the cards looked like playing cards, except instead of the normal four suits, she saw coins, cups, sticks and swords. One of the cards, the one on top, showed a beautiful portrait of the devil she had seen on the outside of the case. Tarot cards, Stuart observed, are commonly considered to be a tool for divination. I'm sure you've used them this way. I've tried to. They never seem to say anything particularly interesting. I think you will find these cards are quite forthcoming, said Stuart. Perhaps more to the point, I'm going to teach you how to use these cards not only to tell fortunes, but to control the future. Mary looked up, searching his eyes for any sign of humor or deception. That's really what they are for, he said. Tarot cards are used to cast spells. People just don't know how to use them that way anymore. If this woman was working with Marie Antoinette, and she had such power, then why did her mistress lose her head? What makes you think Madame Bouchard had any interest in saving Marie from her execution? For a moment Stuart's smile became predatory. History is filled with those who seek to cheat fate, but the first law of magic is that which you do is repaid threefold. Marie and her king could no more escape the guillotine than fly. Mary raised her eyebrows. Well, that is rather frightening, she said. Why would anyone want to use magic if everything you do is going to come back to haunt you later? One of the first notions you have to abandon is that magic is separate from the world you normally live in. It is not happenstance that your head can tell your mouth to speak or your feet to walk. The physical connection between your head and the rest of you may be composed of biological, electrical, and mechanical linkages. But how these things came to be in one place and under your control, I can assure you that was magic. Mary stared at him. That makes no sense. You are saying that everything that happens is magic. But that means there's no magic at all. That means there's magic everywhere, corrected Stuart. But let's turn our attention to the cards. He looked at them as she moved the rigid rectangular wafers from hand to hand. They are beautiful, aren't they? Carved from human bone and created for a small hand. Human bone? Asked Mary, aghast. As she looked down at all the upturned faces, she thought they appeared to be laughing at her now. No one you know, said Stuart, and no one unwilling to participate in this strange form of immortality. They aren't, he paused as if searching for a word, unhappy. Are you going to show me how to use them? Asked Mary, holding the cards out to him. 
Every time she looked at the cards the colors seemed to become more vibrant and new details seemed to emerge. Stuart drew his hands away before the cards could touch them. He shook his head. No one should ever touch your cards while you live. Really? asked Mary. Tarot is a private alphabet, said Stuart. Each card, as time passes, will come to have a very specific meaning to you and you alone. When you do a reading for someone, you will handle the cards and then reveal what lies ahead for them. Letting another person handle your deck is like letting someone rummage around in your mind. An adept could easily use your cards to kill you. Mary shook her head in disbelief. I don't believe any of this. I wish I could, but it sounds like an overblown fantasy. Humor me, said Stuart. It's your first lesson. There is only so much information I can impart at once. Mary sighed. The cards were pretty, the book was nice, but she wasn't at all sure they were worth a contract signed in blood and a lifetime of allegiance to a secretive group of powerful men. What on earth had she gotten herself into? Stuart pulled a handkerchief out of his pocket and placed it upon the table. Lay out the cards, one by one, face up, so we can have a look at them, he said. When the cards were displayed as a whole, Mary found her eyes darting from one to another. She felt they could all fit together to form a single image, almost a family portrait, and her mind kept trying to make that happen. You will note there are 78 cards in the deck. There are 13 each of swords, cups, clubs and coins. There are 13 deities and 13 fates. The deities are these, and he pointed at 13 of the tiny cards. Put them up here, he said gesturing at the top of the handkerchief. What are their names? She asked as she complied. She saw that the grinning devil was there, the hermit, the empress, the emperor, the fool, but other cards were not so clear. I would never dare speak for them, said Stuart with a smile. Perhaps, if you ask them their names, they will tell you. He gestured to other cards. These thirteen are the fortunes, or the fates, he said. As she created a second row, she saw love, justice, death, the chariot, the wheel of fortune, and yet more cards she could not readily identify. The minor arcana are below. The face cards are mortals whose identities change from reading to reading. Once again, she arranged cards to create a row on the handkerchief. Note that there are four face cards in each suit, and that the gender of each card is ambiguous. Really? she asked. Look closely, said Stuart. Sometimes when you look at a given card you will see a king, and other times you will look at the same card and see a queen. Can you see that? She could see it. Before her eyes the king of cups became a powerful queen, while the queen of cups became her consort. The more she stared at the row of mortal cards, the more she could see their sexual ambivalence. Her eyes were starting to ache from the ever-shifting images on the cards. Think of the deck as a kind of antenna for the universe around you. Like any antenna, it can both receive and broadcast. Like any radio, you must be tuned. So, for the next couple of days I want you to keep the cards with you. I want you to open the box, touch the cards, lay them out in a variety of patterns, and sleep with them under your pillow. Mary began collecting the cards and putting them back in their box one by one. When she was done she held the curiously warm object in her hand. She discovered her eyes now felt too heavy to keep open and it was an effort of will to listen to Stuart speak. Stuart pushed the book and the pen toward her again. Make sure to write down any questions you have as they come to you. She nodded. Now let's review the initiation process, said Stuart. Mary looked up, 
struggling to pay attention to what he said. After a moment's pause, Stuart stood and waited for her to rise as well. We should go for a walk. You look ready to fall asleep here at the table. Without a word she stood, allowing him to lead her out the back door into the garden. He walked beside her in the thick grass. Can we go through this field? He asked as they bypassed her barn. She nodded, searching a moment for words. It's a registered county walk. There's a marked path. She led him through a well-oiled metal gate and paced beside him through knee-high grass. Above them stars glittered, and she thought it must be well after nine. Initiates are brought into the society blindfolded and bound. In ancient times, this permitted the initiate to be refused and to be returned to the outside world without fear that he would betray our members. When we accept you as a member, your blindfold and bindings will be removed. Mary nodded. Don't many Wiccan circles do something like that? I don't know, replied Stuart. Mary could almost hear him thinking as they paced toward the woods at the edge of the field. There was so much she needed to know. You will be brought before us naked because that's what our initiation ritual demands. What? Mary stopped and looked at him. Naked, said Stuart. The thirteen of us involved in your initiation will be clothed if that's a comfort. It is not, said Mary. Even clutching the gift of eighteenth-century tarot cards in her pocket, she could not rationalize such a strange request. Didn't you have nude models in art school? he asked. I wasn't one of them and this isn't art school, Mary replied curtly. Suddenly she was wide awake. Nevertheless, you aren't generally ashamed of being nude I assume, Stuart's tone was firm. Before thirteen strangers, I would indeed feel ashamed. Mary shook her head. It's impossible. Thirteen men, to be specific. I've given you adequate warning. Accommodate yourself to the idea, said Stuart. He looked up at the stars. It's late. I have papers to grade and an exam to create. He turned back toward her house. I said I wouldn't do it. Stuart continued to walk away and she rushed to catch up. In for a penny and for a pound, he said. You agreed to join us after all. But I don't want to do this. We all have our more unpleasant obligations, said Stuart. This is one of yours. What's yours then? She demanded. Ah, well, you'll find that out if you play your own role properly, said Stuart with a grim smile that caught the moonlight. We meet dark of the moon, which means you'll be initiated in exactly one week. Next time I come, I'll bring some words you'll have to know well enough to recite at your initiation. We'll also spend some time working with your cards, he moved to open the gate so she could pass through. You should pack an overnight bag, and don't make any arrangements for the following day. After he left, Mary sat in her bed and reviewed the cards. Some seemed caught in the middle of a laugh, while others looked ready to scream. Did they really change each time she looked at them, or was that her imagination? That was surely impossible. Naked. Had she agreed to that? Where was that in the contract? Why on earth did she trust these men, this one man, to be specific? She loved David, and she was betraying him. He would never approve of her prancing about news before thirteen men. Yet he was thousands of miles away pursuing his interests. Why should she not enjoy equivalent freedom? She had seen hundreds of men and women pose in the nude. The human body was a work of art. She knew she was beautiful in her own way. Men had told her so with some frequency over the years. Certainly she was not too ugly to be seen. 
and something in her shied away from telling Stuart she wouldn't help him. She had made a promise, hadn't she? And she did want to be part of a magical world so she could touch the divine. She herded the cards back into their box. The people in this group would be good business contacts for David in the future. Surely members of the society helped one another financially from time to time. She never actually had to tell David how she had made such wonderful contacts for him. She doubted he would even bother to ask. She simply wasn't sure she could bring herself to do as Stuart had asked. It wasn't in her nature to be bold. As Stuart drove back to his Cambridge flat, he called James at home. As expected, his aide answered on the first ring. Tell the surveillance team to keep an eye on her, he said. Is there any particular reason I should mention? She's balking at the initiation right. I told her the form and function of it, and she has no real reason to object, but she might try to scarper after her friends, or to that idiot in Japan. We'd want to head that off in order to forestall an unfortunate outcome. I'll let them know, said James. Did she like the Bircher deck? She will, said Stuart the cards liked her which is what matters. They leave her mind open which is what we need to have happen. You seem very certain of that, said James. I've never seen cards used that way. We all have our weapons, said Stuart. There's no reason at all that the Birchard cards should be among yours. Until the late 1800s, they were the expected gift for the consort. Acheron ended the practice in the new century. I have revived it for this initiate. I wonder why he let the practice go, James said thoughtfully. You may certainly ask him that when you meet, Stuart replied. Voice recording and story copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.